section there, and then we'll turn to the main part of our message this morning, which will be in Second uh, Chronicles. We're going to be looking at Jehoshaphat this morning. <clears throat> As we're doing these character studies, uh, we often have a lot more material for one man than we can do in a single day, actually in less than an hour. And so we have to pick and choose what we're going to talk about. And uh, it helps if we can find a repeated behavior pattern. And, and uh, we can do that with Jehoshaphat. And the thing that shows up in his life more than once, he, he's a good guy, by the way. Let me start off by saying that. Okay, He's a great king, good godly man. But like you and me, he makes mistakes. And his repeated mistake falls in the area of what we call an unequal yoke. I think most of you have heard that expression, huh? And uh, the most familiar passage is here in 2 Corinthians 6. I don't think we've ever talked on the subject. So that's the other thing we look for. Uh, something that we haven't discussed before, and we haven't talked about this, so we're going to see it this morning in his life. 2 Corinthians 6 <clears throat> and verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unequally what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has christ with belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever that's the command and it extends to uh, all binding relationships that's what god is talking about an unequal yoke i think everybody knows what a yoke is but just in case you don't you know you've seen pictures or maybe you've actually used them before it's a it's a wooden beam Pretty heavy, about, uh, I don't know, six, eight feet long, and it's got curves cut into it to fit over the back of draft animals to, like, pull a plow or a wagon or something, right? You've seen them? Yeah? Okay. And the point is they, they hold because they've got, like, a metal bar or a strap or something to hold it onto the animal. It, it keeps the animals together as they hopefully pull together and do work together. The problem is, if you get a couple of animals that don't get along, then you get problems. And the problems get real bad fast because the animals are uh, trapped. They are, they are literally strapped together. And so, uh, way back in the Old Testament, in fact, in Deuteronomy, God said, don't plow with uh, a donkey and an ox yoked together. Well, now... It's in a section where he's talking, talking about mixing clean and unclean things. But also, practically speaking, that's a terrible thing to try to do. Can you imagine a donkey? Think about it. A donkey and an ox trying to work beside each other. It doesn't work. You got The ox is, is different in uh, strength. He's much stronger. So he's going to you know, be just pulling away, and that donkey's going to be struggling. Uh, they're different in their pace. The, the donkey actually has longer legs. And temperament, you know about that. Donkeys and oxen, right? So you try that, and before too long, I mean, they're both going to be just chafing and, and trying to get out of that yoke. It's an unequal yoke, and it doesn't work. It just does not work. So that's uh, what God is really referring back to when he says unequal yoke and talking about Christians bound together with unbelievers in some binding uh, agreement he says it's not going to work it, it does not work he says what agreement what accord do they have they don't 
and it applies to everything from uh, marriage to business arrangements, any, any so, sort of legally binding relationship. Just like the donkey and the ox, after a while, they're both going to be chafing. You know, uh, the Christian, if, if, if we're talking about if, if the person is a true believer and they're bound to an unsafe person, after a while, it's going to start getting to them, you know, the, the, the carnal decisions and, and the way the other is trying to run things. And the unbeliever is going to go crazy because this Christian keeps trying to pray and read his Bible and make decisions on that basis. You know, so uh, it just doesn't work. And that's why God commands against it. Okay, now back to Second Chronicles, where we're going to look at Jehoshaphat. A classic example of a failed unequal yoke, of course, is a, a king we've already looked at, Solomon. Right? God made it very plain before they went into the land. Listen to what he said here. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant. It's a binding agreement. That's the yoke. With them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. There it is again. No binding agreement. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And of course... Solomon violated that big time with literally hundreds of foreign concubines. And it, it's incredible when you think about the picture of Solomon, who was often used as a type of Christ in some ways, toward the end of his life, making, building altars for um, Ashtoreth. They had horrible immorality associated with that. You know, this guy's he's building uh, statues and, and places of, quote, worship for that. Or um, Molech. He, he built temples for Molech. That's, that's the one they offer children to. Can you imagine? Why? Because Solomon bound himself to unsaved uh, women, and it influenced him. And that's, God says that. He says that's what's going to happen. It's interesting. He doesn't say... Uh, yeah, go ahead and, and, and marry the unbelievers and what's going to happen. You're going to lead them to the Lord and everything's going to be wonderful. He says, no, if you do that, they're going to turn your heart away from me. And Solomon was proof of that. And so in an unequal yoke, invariably what happens is the, the, the believer just kind of gives in, compromises. And they're the ones that suffer worst. And unfortunately, the name of the Lord suffers as well as it did in the case of solomon so that's that's the principle here and as i said jehoshaphat is is really a good guy but he's like that like us and he makes this mistake actually uh twice in his life once almost with fatal consequences to himself second chronicles uh chapter 17 to begin with just so we can meet the man Chapter 17, 2 Chronicles, verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Uh, the father is Asa. We heard about him from Michael a few weeks ago. And strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. 
Now, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from judah so basically he's a good king he's a good guy he makes an unfortunate choice of a wife he marries uh you remember we all remember ahab yeah (laughs) well uh it turns out that uh, when he went looking for a wife that's where he he found her uh up in israel and uh not not a good idea so now he's related by marriage to Ahab. And uh, the problem is because of that, he, he's, he's already got an unequal yoke, but then he makes it worse by making an alliance with Ahab. That's going to be the problem. And we'll see that here. Look at chapter 18. Verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. That's bad decision and we know that because god later is going to rebuke him for just for doing just this here's the unequal yoke you got jehoshaphat a godly man you know he's he's cleaned up the land of idolatry idolatry pretty much and uh set the pace for for seeking the lord and we know about ahab of course he's one of the most wicked kings in the history of israel and now he's allied with him uh it's a military alliance and uh it's interesting when uh ahab says can you help me jehoshaphat says i am as you are and my people as your people that's not right we got unbelievers and and believers joined together here in an alliance and so what's going to happen now in this yoke now he's in a yoke with ahab uh differences are going to start just like the donkey and the ox and in fact it comes up right away uh ahab great schemer okay he's got plans they include everything except one important element you know what it is the lord that's exactly right yeah well jehoshaphat's not like that you see and so he's already he's going to start chafing in this yoke with ahab um verse four also jehoshaphat said to the king of israel please inquire for the word of the lord today notice it was his idea if he hadn't said it they wouldn't be any seeking of the lord jehoshaphat good good dear brother loves the lord first thing if we're going to go out to battle let's find out what the lord has to say good idea huh okay well What's cool is Ahab is very accommodating in this area. 
he not only has one prophet, he has 400. Just ready to serve. The only problem is he owns these prophets. Verse 5, then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Now, they already know what he said he wants to do. Okay? He's already made it plain. He wants to go out and fight them. So, these guys, you know, they get a nice monthly salary. What do you think they're going to say? Duh. So they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Isn't that good? Boy, you got 400 guys all agreeing together. Must be good, huh? There's only one problem. If God says one thing and 400 guys say the other, who's right? (laughs) That's right. What does it say in Romans? Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. That means if everybody on planet Earth said, uh, you know, X, and God said, no, no, it's Y, then God is right and everybody's a liar. And that's the case here. Uh, be careful, by the way, okay? Here's an example for us right here, not to follow. Don't seek out yes men when you're seeking counsel. People have a tendency to do that. Did you know that? I saw it. I was an elder for a while. And it amazes me how people, they know when they want to do something and they suspect it may not be the right thing to do, they know who to ask who will say, yeah, go ahead. It's incredible. They know ahead of time. And they go ask them. You know? And you know who they avoid? Yeah, the people that would say, wait a minute, you know, it says right here, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. That's that's a fatal decision, as Ahab is going to learn, by the way. You can have 400 or 4,000. If the Lord says the other, then you need to do the other. Uh, Okay, so here's the first uh, problem already arising in this unequal yoke. Uh, Poor Jehoshaphat, he's already regretting he's in this relationship. In fact, he says in uh, verse 6, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Is that interesting? He knew, he knew these guys. They were all yes men. You know, like the, the little uh, dogs you put in the back seat, you know, in the car, you know. <laughs> that, that's what Jehoshaphat's got here, you know. 400 guys, just like this, you know. And he knows it. And so you've already you've got a little bit of a conflict going already here between Ahab and Jehoshaphat, you know. Ahab's guys, that should be enough. And Jehoshaphat says, no, I want a real prophet. So what's interesting to me is Ahab knows exactly what Jehoshaphat means because he does have one. Verse 7, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there still is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imloth. Isn't that good? 
Now, you know, put two and two together. If this godly man is always prophesying evil about Ahab, maybe that says something about Ahab, do you think? You know? Uh, and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such thing. In other words, oh, don't talk that way. Come on, let's give him a chance. That's basically what he's saying. Don't, don't be like that. You know, let's just, let's, let's find out. Let's get him out here. Okay. Uh, verse eight, king of Israel, this is Ahab. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. Now, what's interesting is there's going to be a lull here between the dispatching of the messenger to go get Micaiah and uh, him actually arriving. And so Ahab and Jehoshaphat are still in this audience hall or palace or whatever it is. And you got these 400 prophets still just putting on a show of how they need to go out and fight now because the battle is theirs. In fact, one of them actually has, uh, what do you call it, visual help, visual aids. Ready? Verse 9, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne. And they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Cheniana, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. Isn't that good? You know, a little sound bite there, a little uh, visual help. These guys are good. I mean, they're really earning their pay. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Well, uh, finally Micaiah arrives, verse 12. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah. First, he's going to do, uh, Tom's not here, he's going to do what's called coaching of the witness. You know what that is, right? Before you get up and give your testimony, somebody takes you aside and says, now look, <clears throat> you know, what you need to say is this. They, really, they want to hear this, okay? So make sure when you get up there, you say this. So that's what he does. He spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord, all 400, encourage the king therefore please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement okay now you want to frame in gold some words in this whole chapter here they are and micaiah said as the lord lives whatever my god says that i will speak isn't that good Man, we had to frame that and put it up on our living rooms, huh? Whatever my God says, that I will speak. Good godly man. Then Now, don't be deceived. When he first comes in, he's actually going to mock the prophets. And it's going to sound like he's, he's not doing what he was, said he was going to do. But it's clear he said it in such a way that everybody knows he's, he's mocking the prophets. Okay. Then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah... Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. Like I said, he's mocking and, and uh, Ahab knows that. What's interesting to me, I don't know if you noticed, uh, 
the false prophets had just said, uh, verse 11, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. They invoked the name of Jehovah. Okay, they had, they had no problem with that. I'd feel a little uncomfortable, wouldn't you? Saying a lie and bringing God into it. And what's interesting to me is Micaiah couldn't bring himself to do that in his mocking. He didn't even bring the Lord's name into it. He just said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. Well, obviously he said it <clears throat> in such a way, <laughs> Ahab wasn't going to stand for it. And so verse 15, the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Poor Micaiah, by the way. No matter what he does, Ahab is going to get mad at him. So he, he tells him what he wants to hear and he gets mad. So now he's going to tell him what he doesn't want to hear. And guess what? He gets mad. <clears throat> okay. Micaiah then responds, verse 16. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Now, do you understand what Micaiah just said? He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Who's the shepherd? That's right. It's the king. And the Lord said, these have no master. Who's the, who's the master? The king, Ahab. So what's Micaiah saying? That's right. After the battle, there's no Ahab. He's gone. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Unbelievable, huh? You know, forget the, the fact that this godly man just spoke the truth, just as he asked, warning him. If you go up there, you're going to die. And all he can do is get upset that he didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Huh? Isn't that silly that someone would ask counsel from a godly man? The godly man would give that person counsel that warns them that the uh, path they're about to embark on is going to lead to bad things. And the person gets upset with that counselor because they told them bad things. Isn't that silly? You think people ever do that? Uh-huh. All the time. <clears throat> Take a lesson from Ahab. <clears throat> okay, well... Uh, remember we're studying Jehoshaphat this morning, although obviously we can't help learning from the other people. But uh, how do you think Jehoshaphat's feeling right now? You know, he is, <clears throat> he is really regretting he's in this deal, okay? This is becoming a total sham. Obviously, the, his partner wants to twist things around until he gets his way. Forget the Lord. He's going to do what he wants to do. It's just a matter of manipulating the evidence so that it looks like everything's okay. That's all he cares about. And Jehoshaphat has got to be squirming here. Uh, he's not impressed, obviously, by the prophets. And he certainly is probably embarrassed by Ahab's uh, behavior here. 
The interesting thing to me as I kept reading this, I noticed Jehoshaphat is not going to say another word. It's interesting, he started out solid, asking for counsel from the Lord. He saw that it was fake, and he said, we need to get a, a real prophet in here. But there comes a point to where he just stops talking. You know what happened? He resigned himself. He just gave up. Obviously, Ahab's going to run this show. He's hooked, and so he's just going to have to bide his time and take whatever consequences come. It, as I read it, it reminded me of David at the end of Psalm 51. Psalm 51, that wonderful psalm of confession. Right toward the end of it, David says a very interesting thing. He says, um, after I'm restored, David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You understand? David is saying, after I'm restored, then I will be able to talk to sinners again and point them to you, Lord. But while I've been in sin, I haven't been able to say a thing. He knew that as long as he was out of fellowship with God, his mouth was shut. David knew that. Do you know? I know that. You ever been in a place where you knew God needed you to say something, but you couldn't because there was sin in your life and you knew it? And it would be better if you just shut up. Huh? Yeah. And David knew that. And that's why he says that. After I'm forgiven and cleansed and restored, then I'll t talk to sinners about you again, he says. And I can hardly wait for that. I've been missing it. That's where Jehoshaphat is. His mouth is silenced. He's in a place where he's out of the will of God and he knows it. And But what can he do? He's stuck. Now, you know, to be quite honest, he, even at this late stage, I think I'd break the contract, wouldn't you? You know? Say, look, Ahab, I'm sorry. It's obvious God is not in this. Look, think of your own life. Let's stop now while you're still alive. But he's human like you and me. And really, he'd have to do it on the basis of one man, Micaiah. You know? And he probably thinks, boy, I'd really look like a fool. Here I am, a king. I've brought my army. I'm committed to Ahab. And we've got this one guy here telling us it ain't going to work. And for me to walk out now, I'd really look sheepish. And so I'm just, I'm just stuck. You know, the unequal yoke. And it's going to get worse. <clears throat> okay, well, Ahab is angry at Micaiah now because he told him the truth. And now comes the third source of, of real uh, problems between Ahab and um, Jehoshaphat because Je Je Jehoshaphat is going to stand there while they basically beat and persecute Micaiah. How'd you like to be in that, you know, as a believer? Man. But he just stands there and he's party to all of this and, and doesn't put a stop to it. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, Verse 18, Ahab's all upset. Didn't I tell you he'd prophesy evil? Then Micaiah said, godly man, bless his heart. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, 
Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord God, uh, you sh- and the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. When you write notes in your Bible, don't write them over the text. That's why I couldn't read that. <clears throat> so he lets them in on a, a scene that had taken place in heaven. This is cool. He opens up heaven for them and says, look, this is what really happened. It's due to a lying spirit. How do you think the prophets feel right now, by the way? <laughs> huh? You understand the prophets? Yeah. So one of them, the guy with the horns, by the way, not surprisingly, Zedekiah. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenayana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Wow. In other words, oh, it's a lying spirit. Okay, well, here you go. Here, Feel the lying spirit. He's, He's taking Micaiah up on this lying spirit thing. And saying, now the lying spirit prompted me to slap you in the cheek. Which way did he go? You know, he's, he's just totally mocking God. <clears throat> you want an example to follow? Keep looking at Micaiah. He could have quit, you know. He could have said, uh, you go up. Uh, I saw this vision. No master, no shepherd. And stopped. And, and let Ahab do what he wants. But he's already spoken again. He's been struck on the, on the face. You think he quit? No. Then Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Wow. He's talking to Zedekiah. You know what he's saying? Zedekiah is a prophet. And he's been telling Ahab, yeah, go on, get out there. Look, look at these horns, man. That's how you're going to gore the Syrians. Trust me. Ahab's going to get killed. What do you think is going to happen to the main prophet that said, go out there and fight the, uh, the Syrians? Yeah. And uh, so Micaiah is saying, you're going to find out where that evil spirit went when they come back with the bad news that Ahab is dead after you said, go out and fight. And you're going to be hiding in your inner chamber when they come to drag you out and execute you. <clears throat> again remember we're looking at jehoshaphat so here he is standing here watching the i don't know what is more convicting i'm speaking from my own experience being uh silenced by sin in my life when i know god wants me to speak up or being rebuked by the godly behavior of another christian while i'm in that situation you ever been there i have and that's where jehoshaphat is he knows the lord he needs to, to speak up to say something. And he's standing over there, grimly silent while they're uh, persecuting this man of God. And it's got to be a rebuke to Jehoshaphat to see Micaiah's behavior. Well, they're not done with Micaiah. <clears throat> After he says that, verse 25, Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, 
Return unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. How'd you like to hear that sentence? Ahab saying, Lock him up and feed him on scanty rations until I come back. That's a life sentence, isn't it? Because Ahab ain't coming back. Micaiah praised the Lord. What a godly man. Bless his heart. He's still not done. When Ahab says that, listen to Micaiah. But Micaiah said, verse 27, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he's not done. And he said, Take heed, all you people. He looked around on him. He knows he's alone. He doesn't care because he's alone with the Lord. You see, man, what a man of God. And at some point, as he looked around, his eyes had to fall on Jehoshaphat. How do you think he felt then? Wow. Okay, how's the unequal yoke working out? Not too well. It's going to go south real fast. It's going to get a lot worse. Because it's clear Jehoshaphat is now just resigned. Ahab's in control. Ahab's going to do whatever he's going to do. And Jehoshaphat's just going to have to cooperate. So, verse 28, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab has a plan. Verse 29, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Good idea, huh? Ahab perceives there's a certain danger to his person going out on the battlefield. And so he's going to just disguise himself as just a regular old soldier, you see. Okay, a private. And... uh, he, he, he needs a little help because there's got to be a king out there somewhere, right? So he tells Jehoshaphat, look, you wear your royal robes. That way they'll see you. Isn't that a good plan? And again, we should notice this. Sometimes the absence of talking is just as important as talking. Jehoshaphat doesn't say a thing, or at least it's not recorded. He does exactly what Ahab says. That's what happens. Like I said, The believer is the one who loses in an unequal yoke as well as the name of the Lord. So, verse 30. What's interesting to me is Ahab's plan perfectly dovetails with the plans of the Syrians. Look at verse 30. Now, the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Okay? The captains. These guys are the guys that really know how to fight. And they all have one charge. I don't want you wasting your time on any privates or any ordinary soldiers. You find the king and all of you go after him. Isn't that good? Who has the robes on? Jehoshaphat. It invariably happens in an unequal yoke that the unbeliever will make a choice that will bring harm to the believer. 
I've seen it, I've seen it in business relationships, for example, more than once, where a believer uh, makes a contract with an unsaved person, and they think, hey, you know, two is better than one. And not too far down the road, the unbeliever uh, pushes a certain decision or approach, and it ends up, yeah, going south. Sometimes really bad for the, for the saved person, but they're bound legally. Be careful. <clears throat> okay, so it was, verse 31, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat with his robes on, that they said, it is the king of Israel. That's the guy we're after. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. Wow, isn't God gracious? You know, God could have said, all right, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. But in his mercy, he, uh, he took care of Jehoshaphat and miraculously literally delivered him. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. But the judgment of God is unavoidable. When it's time, there's no way you're going to escape it. Verse 33, now a certain man drew a bow at random, you know, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. This is the death of Ahab. Uh, it's just amazing the, the justice and the judgment and the righteousness of God here, isn't it? How he spared Jehoshaphat in spite of himself. And he followed through on his uh, warning to take Ahab. And now this isn't some guy kind of closing his eyes. You know, when it says random, it doesn't mean kind of, you know, ching like that. What they would do, if there was a, a, a large body of the enemy together and the archers are off a good distance, they would just launch arrows into that pack because there's a good chance it's going to hit someone. But they're not aiming at anybody in particular. That's what it means. And so he just launches this arrow, you know, up into where Ahab was with the other privates. And miraculously, you know how the, the armors overlapped, right? So the only way you're going to get a guy is somehow to go between two pieces of armor. You know what the odds are of doing that even when you aim? You know, when he's moving and you're moving? Slim and none. This guy, he wasn't even aiming at Ahab. It says, a certain man, we don't even know who he is. It's, it's totally unimportant. God is suppressing uh, who it is and how he aimed because it's the Lord that did it. This guy just shoots and, and that arrow, you don't want to think of the probability of it going through a chink in the armor and getting to Ahab. But it was his time. And so God directed that arrow and uh, killed Ahab. How do you think Jehoshaphat feels now, by the way? Having seen all of this. Wow, huh? You know? Uh, what's interesting to me, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, this is a, a chapter, is just an artificial thing we put in there. Really, the commentary is continuing. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned, big word here, ready, safely to his house in Jerusalem. Why did God put that word in there? To remind us of his compassion 
and mercy on Jehoshaphat in sparing him. So I can just see Jehoshaphat getting back to the palace in one piece. And as he's standing there with his armor bearer taking his armor off, you know, praising the Lord uh, that he's alive. And he has just seen a, a fresh vision of the judgment of God in no uncertain terms. He's got the image of Micaiah, that godly man. He's got a lot he's thinking about right now. The good thing about Jehoshaphat is, and I hope we're like this, he learns from his lessons. He made a big mistake, but he learned from it. And uh, there's a real connection now between chapter 19 and verse 18. Because when Jehoshaphat gets back, if you read this separately, often we read the kings and we think, okay, well, there's this, there's, there's this thing he did, you know, a chapter, and then there's this, this thing he did, and there's something over here, and they're kind of like random smatterings. You think about it, this guy reigned 25 years. God only picked a very small number of things out of his life. He picked them for a reason. And I believe he picked chapter 19 and what's about to happen because it is strongly connected to what just happened in chapter 18. You know what it is? It's judicial reform. He goes throughout the land and apparently there weren't very many judges and the ones that were, were corrupt. And he has just had a living example of righteous judgment and truth from Micaiah through the Lord. And so he goes throughout the land and uh, just, for example, in uh, verse 5, then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. You know, I think if I were Jehoshaphat and I got back and I realized there was nothing but corruption among the judges, I'd want to do something about it after what I'd just been through. Huh? And he said to the judges, take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who was with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. I know I've been there. I saw Ahab as a dead man and rightly so. And God in his mercy spared me. No partiality. And listen to this. Nor taking of bribes. <laughs> what does that remind you of? The wonderful prophets of Ahab. And so it continues. He goes through and, and uh, details how he wants to have honest judges in his land. <clears throat> okay. Uh, next is uh, an interesting episode. We don't have time to look at it in detail. But uh, chapter 20, uh, just look at verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others, they're actually the people of Mount Seir, with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. He's in a similar position that his father Asa was. Now he's being attacked. And the interesting thing to me is he didn't make the mistake of his father in seeking outside help. Uh, he calls on the Lord alone. Verse uh, 6, he, he prays, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able 
to withstand you. God raises up a prophet like Micaiah, and he tells them what to do. And uh, in verse 20, uh, Jehoshaphat says an interesting thing. They rose early in the morning and went out in the, into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. His prophets. Usually they don't do that. They just talk about the Lord. And I think, again, uh, Jehoshaphat's still fresh reminded of Micaiah. He's thinking of Micaiah. And this godly man uh, here, um, Jehaziel, that God raised up at this time for him to speak the word of the Lord. I think he's still uh, living in the lesson that he learned with Ahab. And of course, God honors it. What's wonderful in this battle, <clears throat> by the way, um, Jehoshaphat, in, in the battle, when he appoints people, he doesn't appoint them to be spearmen and arrow guys and chariot guys. You know what he appoints them to do? To sing. <laughs> I love it. Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever and when they began to sing and to praise the lord set ambushes against the people of ammon moab and mount seir who had come against judah and they were defeated isn't that great i think i think a lot of this has to do with his experience with ahab and i think he learned from it and in fact when he prayed to the lord before this battle he said we're so outnumbered i don't know what to do that's a great position to be in to go to the lord that way you know that to go to the Lord. Look, he doesn't expect you to come and say, Lord, I'm a guy, I got this big problem, but I got it all figured out. This is what needs to be done. You wouldn't be on your knees if that was the situation. He, he loves it when his children come and say, Lord, I'm in this situation. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. That's, that's wonderful. He likes for you to come to him that way. It says he, he'll give you wisdom in that case when you ask that way. Okay, well, uh, we'll finish up here with Jehoshaphat's last unequal yoke. He does it again. Uh, and, and we're not criticizing the guy. Like I said, he's like us. Do you just sin once in a certain area and never do it again? <laughs> so, you know, when we get on a, uh, Abraham about lying about his wife twice and so on, take the mirror and go like this, okay, and look at it. I wish I learned the first time. Well, Jehoshaphat doesn't either. He, he does well for quite a while, but then toward the end of his reign, Ahab, of course, is dead. His son Ahaziah is now ruling up in Israel, and he, he's just as bad as his father. Um, and uh, he makes an alliance with him. So, verse uh, 35 of chapter 20. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. That phrase is put there to remind us who he's allying himself with. He's a bad guy. And there's that word, allied again. And he allied himself with him, 
to make ships to go to Tarshish. So this is a commercial venture. This is a business contract this time. And they made the ships in Ezion Gaber. But Eliezer, the son of Dodava of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Second time he's allied. It's an unequal yoke again. And actually, God was gracious again. It cost him a lot. You, you know, he didn't just build a ship. It says ships. That, that costs a lot of money to make ships. And so he lost a lot of moolah in this deal. But I'll tell you, it was better in the long run that God dissolved this partnership before it even got off the ground because it would have been the same thing all over again. You can imagine, you can just picture it now as they get into it and they start making decisions. And here is Ahaziah, just a, a godless man, a wicked man. And Jehoshaphat wanting to seek the Lord again. You know how that would end up. And so God really in his mercy uh, delivered him from this. Um, yeah, by the way, I uh, look back at chapter 19, verse 2, <clears throat> just to tie up a loose end. Maybe you're sitting out there saying, you know, Rick, you're really unjustly uh, criticizing Jehoshaphat and his deal with Ahab. But I said, God is the one who said it. Here it is, chapter 19, verse 2. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, this is after the battle with Ahab. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. He's rebuking him for the unequal yoke. Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and prepared your heart to seek God. Okay. So, Jehoshaphat, one of the characteristics of his life, he, he seemed to struggle with uh, unequal yokes. And I think this episode with Ahab is a good lesson for us. You know, any, any binding agreement, don't do it. Probably the more prone we would be would be to some kind of financial arrangement. I've seen that lead to heartache over and over again. Just don't do it. Okay, obviously marriage uh, or just even a boyfriend, girlfriend is no good. doesn't work. God says so. There's no agreement, no common ground there. Uh, we'll finish up, though. I wanted to finish on a positive note. There is a yoke in the Bible that's a good yoke. Matthew chapter 11. We'll just take a minute on this. This is a yoke that's highly recommended by God. Okay? So it has a pretty good approval rating. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus is speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that good? Notice he says it's my yoke. 
people think of this, they, they picture themselves taking on this yoke by themselves. No, a yoke is for two individuals, okay? This yoke, Jesus has already been wearing. And he's saying, I want you to come alongside me. Okay, isn't that good? Can you think of better company in a yoke than Jesus Christ? He says it, I'm gentle and lowly. He says, you'll get along with me real, real good. You know, it'll work out real fine. The funny thing is, uh, when you first think about this, take a yoke, you think, man, that's work. I, I don't want to take a yoke on. That's bad. That's labor. It's right. He dispels our fears. He says, no, 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 no. He says, my yoke is light. And my burden is easy. You know why? Because he's the one that's shouldering the burden. You see? He doesn't expect you to do the work. Apart from me, he, say, from me, he says you can do nothing. When you're in yoke with the Lord Jesus, you just stay in step with him. And he's the one that bears the, the burden. In fact, he goes so far to say, this is, you'd never find this any place, but in the words of Jesus. He says, you take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest isn't that incredible no one else can say that uh it's wonderful that he says you'll find rest for your soul and i've talked to people and i know you have too if you know the lord so many times over the years and you try to explain to them now that you've come to jesus you know you're there and it's because you you've experienced soul rest and you can't explain it to someone until they've experienced it too but there's nothing like it you don't want anything else after that okay once you've found jesus and you're walking in step with him there is nothing that can compare with it amen and so let's avoid unequal yokes actually you know what it's kind of funny this is an unequal yoke in the sense that he's doing all the burden you know but i like it that way because we can find rest in our savior let's pray lord jesus we just thank you so much uh, that you have done all the work for salvation and even now lord in uh, living for you you give us a yoke that we can join with you where all we need to do is just keep step with you and we find true rest and what a joy it is and lord we know it's just a, a foretaste of what the eternal rest is going to be like with you forever lord we pray that we who know you might be found just content co-laboring pulling alongside with you until you come to bring us home to yourself we pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, with that they might heed that wonderful invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That they might hear that appeal from you and just come, lay down that load, and trust you as their, their Lord and Savior. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.